AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. East time I hear there's a treasure trove of information from a recent breach surrounding an automaker. You want to talk to us more about what they found? Yes. Well, I think the good news is it's not as bad as it might seem from the headlines, uh -huh. uh, though it's not great for the company. Uh, so basically, there's this security researcher, and he was using, he was doing his security research. He was looking for things, um, actually using a website called Shodan, and he found um, the server, which was an Elasticsearch instance. So Elasticsearch is used a lot for um, storing log records, so you can search them quickly. Mm -hmm. Some people use it for uh, security analytics, other people use it for like compliance. In any case, um, he came, he stumbled upon this, and he's, it was completely unauthenticated. Mm. So basically, he was able to access all of the data inside of, the, or search all of the data that was available there. And when he looked inside, he saw there was like 40 gigabytes wow. of information uh, from different log records. Mm. He studied the data a little bit, and he noticed that it had to do with inventory information for the computers inside of this mm -hmm. uh, large automaker. The type of data had to do with the different assets that this automaker had in their enterprise. And the dangerous part is when combined with the other information in there, you could really go after specific individuals. Um, of course, at first I was a little bit, uh, uh, I guess, distraught because I'm actually a customer of this company. And um, when I found out that there was this breach, I want to find out a little bit more about it. But um, upon reviewing it and reading his write-up, you could see that it was basically poor maybe security practice or maybe even accidental, maybe an administrator made some sort of a modification to the system and basically exposed this Elasticsearch instance to the internet mm -hmm. without maybe meaning to do it. I think uh, some of the winning points in the story are actually that you know the security researcher found it on July 4th mm. um, and it was only indexed on like July 1st. So it was kind of undiscovered for three days or so. Though it could be enough time to really wreak havoc, in this case, it was only undiscovered for about three days. And once he was able to identify the security team for that uh, large automaker, mm -hmm. he notified them, and um, by July 6th, they had taken care of the issue. Okay. Um, so that's very good. Yeah. And again, uh, they obviously, when something like that happens, the company reviews um, the incident. So they reviewed access um, yeah. to the system and they were able to conclude that no unauthorized activity had occurred mm -hmm. other than the security researcher. Okay. Um, so nobody really was able to take advantage of it. And then the information that was contained was really like system information. It was very important for the company. So it would be information like, um, you know, are all the, every computer in the company, what's the latest patch of software that they have? What is the operating system version? Mm. Is it up to date? What kind of security software does it have or doesn't have? A lot of companies, mm -hmm. it's actually part of asset inventory, uh, asset management. Uh, a lot of companies have that. Uh, it's a very good way to keep track of, are you compliant with mm -hmm. all of the patches? Is your network secure? They also did have some information um, from Active Directory related to employees, meaning um, their title, their name, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but it's probably not of an overly sensitive nature. Um, usually in Active Directory, you only keep you know, identifying information in the sense of name mm. and uh, business unit or something like that. So for example, if you want to target the CEO of the company, you would be able to find out uh, maybe their privilege levels, what assets they use, 
and then use it, knowing what computer or device they might be using, also check to see if it has AV installed, what patch level it's on. And when you're building your attack, um, that level of reconnaissance, especially for advanced adversaries, is always necessary and needed. Um, so it's not great, uh, but the winning points for me is that it was handled um, quickly, yeah. uh, properly, and then they investigated and were able to determine that uh, no unauthorized access had occurred during that time frame. Yeah, I think one of the key lessons learned, I think, from a story like this, right? So the information may not always be credit card or health information or information that is considered sensitive from a compliance regulation point of view, right? But even information like this, if it falls into the wrong hands, you can craft spear phishing email attacks. You can take, you know, some of these outdated patches and, you know, research those systems to be able to find them as an entry point into a large, you know, organization such as this, right? And while their response time has been good in terms of closing this gap, right, I think as any organization today, you have to think about one, inadvertently will you expose information that may be valuable for others that may not always just be related to what we consider PII, right? But then yeah. this is still information that can be used. And we, you know, when we bring about these breaches, I think the intent is for us to really focus on organizations taking that security hygiene seriously, right? Yeah. And it's not a one-day task, right? It's a practice that we have to follow. So it's good that, you know, this information was not exploited and it's closed before, you know, the gap became really serious. Thank you for that. Yeah, that, that's a great point there, Bindu. I know I totally agree with all of that. I think one interesting uh, scenario that could have um, unraveled in this case is rather than lots of customer data being leaked and being fined, this organization could have faced issues where, like you mentioned, that, that information could be used for further attacks. It's almost like uh, really good intelligence for an adversary to use later on. So that would have been uh, pretty interesting, but um, sounds like it was a really good response time from uh, the automaker and um, uh, the researcher kind of contacted them quickly, which is great. So, but it's definitely a shame that uh, this happens so often. We get used to used to hearing about new big leaks and everything. So, um, I definitely definitely agree with your your comments there, Bindu. Yes, thank you, Tom. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, guys. When these new technologies come out, I feel like sometimes maybe security could accidentally be forgotten, or how to configure things properly might accidentally be forgotten. Um, and I think it's important, the story reminds us that we can't do that. We have to be cognizant of some of these newer technologies that are coming out, making sure that we double check and make sure are these things exposed to the internet. So Tom, I hear you have some interesting analysis you'd like to share with us today. Yeah, thanks Dan. Uh, I was just going to quickly talk on some of the um, new activity we've identified as an attack operation being conducted by the adversary we call Strong Pity. Um, to kind of give you some background, uh, Strong Pity was first discovered in, t in 2016, and after a, a few sources publicly outed some of their activity, um, primarily outside the United States, um, this adversary made a, a large effort to rebuild their infrastructure and continue operating their attacks, um, primarily in, in Turkey most recently. Uh, and historically, this group has done a lot of things like creating watering holes and inline traffic modification to trick their target individuals into downloading malicious versions of, of trusted software. So what we found was the adversary was supplying targets with new versions of, of trusted software, such as 
uh, WinRAR or WinBox or a tool called Internet Download, Man- Download Manager. Um, and this has been going on from what we found since about mid-2018 into 2019, up until the last couple of weeks. Targeting users who are technical by um, uh, targeting software packages that they might download. Um, and it reminds me that we have to be very careful from where we download the security tools or the IT tools that we use to administer systems we have sensitive access to. It's pretty interesting because it's a highly targeted approach to attacking individuals, but it gives them software that they're, in, they're actually specifically asking for, but gives them a malicious version of it. Um, so we don't know a lot exactly about the individuals and uh, what organizations they're a part of or, or why they're being targeted. But, um, you know, in my opinion, you can gain a little bit of an insight into who they are just based on the type of software. Uh, you know, for example, if you look at older campaigns from the Strong Pity Actor, they've used uh, modified versions of, of WinRAR and TrueCrypt. Uh, so generally, individuals that are downloading encryption type software, which is uh, tech, like a technically inclined person or uh, network administration type person. And you look at the most recent uh, activity that we found, uh, WinRAR again for file encryption and encoding and, and so forth. Uh, WinBox is a tool to be able to manage large amounts of, large amounts of um, router OS devices, which is pretty interesting. And then IDM is a download utility to manage large amounts of downloads. So again, it kind of fits the profile of this adversary targeting individuals, which are a little bit more technically inclined or network administration type uh, users out in um, in Turkey and so forth. So uh, pretty interesting, but. Uh, you know, we identified the malware beaconing outbound over um, SSL, so it makes detecting at the network layer a little bit of a challenge for, for most organization, organizations. Um, however, one thing that defenders can kind of keep in mind in cases like this is the adversary has historically evolved only as much as ever necessary to evade detections. Um, so, we you know, we publicly wrote a blog and reported on this. Now we expect that adversary to change up their tactics just enough so if somebody read our blog, they couldn't go and still catch them, but they do just the minimum amount. To, um, so, so it kind of gives you an idea of the type of uh, operation they're running, uh, very efficient to say the least. Um, but you know, we've identified a lot of this activity and, and um, wrote up a blog and placed into Open Threat Exchange and so forth, but uh, generally it's some interesting new trends from an actor that's been around for quite a while that um, I think there's more to come here soon around this, this adversary. Interesting. Uh, regarding the SSL activity, do these guys like reuse SSL certificates or is there any way to pivot off of that? Or is that one of the ways to track them? Unfortunately not. They have mostly used the SSL certificates on a um, very small basis. They haven't really done a lot of overlap or reuse. It's pretty much a one-time uh, SSL cert use, uh, potentially per target or per uh, compromised software version that they uh, deploy outbound. So it doesn't last very long. Um, one of the best tracking mechanisms we found has really just been uh, tracking the malware that they, they um, drop and then finding new samples that have been um, exhibiting the same behavior and then analyzing the infrastructure at that point where they'll be out and then it can kind of connect some links. So not a ton of uh, clues on, on that front, but um, enough to kind of get us started and, and map out a good bit of their activity, which is pretty much how we found them here. 
It's interesting to me uh, the targeting around uh, well-known software packages that uh, you know technically inclined people might use, and it reminds me that we, as technical people, have to also be careful where we download things and yeah. that we're getting them from proper sources. Uh, you just always have to remember that. Actually, it reminds me a while back. Um, um, you can you, I mean, you can download things from um, uh, different like SourceForge and things like that. There's a lot of like freeware available, um, but sometimes these websites have advertisements that have always looked suspicious to me because the the advertisement says you know download here and you came to this website to download something, and I always wonder what is this advertisement really taking you to, um, and you have to you know even on something legitimate where you're getting freeware. Uh, you have to be very careful. Um, so, yeah. uh, and I think, especially for smaller and medium organizations, right? Uh, you know, who tend to use the free tools. Uh, you know, the network admin wants to test out probably a different tool, right? So, and most of them do not track sort of behavior analysis, and you know, cannot spot this behavior. So, I think uh, it's also interesting that this uh, group is relentless, right? From 2016 or so, they've been tweaking their techniques a little bit to go undetected. I think you know one of the key reasons why we do these stories is to sort of bring to front that this may be applicable to you. Sort of keep an eye out. You know, it's not impacting just yet, but in the future it may. Right. This reminds me, as uh, security professionals or IT professionals, we have to be very cognizant of where we download things that they're from trusted sources. Hey, Bindu, sounds like you have an interesting story on some recent targeted attacks for us. Yes, uh, Tom, so utilities has been a space that has uh, constantly been uh, a target and uh, three major utilities have experienced this in the last month is what uh, Proofpoint has elaborated on. So, you know, we talk a lot about spear phishing and we talk a lot about how organizations, you know, experience this and, you know, to some extent we've all sort of gotten numb to this, right? Uncomfortably numb, in fact. Um, you know, this is interesting because this is a targeted spear phishing campaign that is done uh, by initial attack vector being social engineering. They knew exactly which employee to target. And the email comes in the form of you know, a National Council of Examiners for Engineering and Surveying. Right? So this is a, a legitimate authority that usually you know, sends out, um, typically not through emails, test results for employees that have taken the exam. So this targeted a couple of employees within each of these utilities, had them open a Word document that you know seems you know pretty legitimate by saying results, right? And then whatever you need because you failed this exam to be able to apply for licensing. So you know typical you know user behavior, you know, you tend to click on this thinking, oh I took this exam or you know I need to make sure that I apply for this license. And what it does is you know the, the interesting thing about this is it's called look back malware, but it's never be seen before malware. It's not like you know we've seen this before. So the fact that it's basically a you know trojan that gets downloaded after, and then it's causing havoc amongst you know the systems that it's installed on. Phishing is such an interesting concept because it's very easy to make almost anyone fall for a phishing scam. It just has to be targeted enough. We've said this time and again, right? Don't click on a Word document and open it. You know, don't let uh, enable macros and install it. But given that, you know, this research has been done and, you know, this 
this type of exploitation is still happening. We want to bring it up to the forefront because this was a spear phishing campaign. It's very uh, well crafted and you know, it's got this email attachment that had all the necessary details for somebody to believe that this is legitimate. But we want to make sure that especially critical infrastructure, utilities, you know, we talk about IoT attacks, we talk about all of these, you know, cutting edge zero day exploits. This is fairly simple, you know, where they're trying to get access to one of the systems there. It follows all all the methods of a typical rack by you know sort of taking command and control getting all the system information rebooting going undetected but the reason i thought the story was still relevant for us even though we have done so many of these phishing campaigns is the attackers are relentless, right? They're going to go after every major target that they possibly can. And especially in a sector like utilities where you have a different uh, types of employees that may not all be aware in terms of security. You know, their job function may not require them to be as, uh, you know, security savvy. But we go back to saying, hey, you know, every one of us working in these organizations contributes to the security. Don't open these attachments. You know, think about, you know, one of the neat things is the domain was sort of slightly modified instead of saying nces.org uh, it said .com but you don't spot that then uh, the organization never emails results you know so this is again you know one of those one offs like why is why are they emailing results suddenly this year right things that we don't think about while we are clicking on that so i thought it was interesting to see what was happening here no matter how much we talk about phishing and being cognizant of it i think maybe sometimes we'll have to make the message even more tailored to specific roles within the company. For the bad guys, you know, some of these things, they don't even care who gets it because there's always gonna be a shipping department mm -hmm. or building services or electrical yeah. department and somebody, it will be relevant to them. It might be a small percentage, but unfortunately, that's how you get into the door. Yeah, and we talk about security awareness and training, right? We say this all along, you know, make sure that your employees are trained. But we all know this, right? Like clicking through a CBT is not really going to have that sticky factor, right? You want to conduct these social engineering engagements, have these samples of population, right? Your security awareness and training cannot be just for the IT folks and, you know, the finance folks because they have these sensitive information. It has to scale across the organization. And it's not saying, hey, don't click on an <laughs> email that looks illegitimate, right? explain to them the impact of you know potential scenarios that could happen right it could like for example i was talking to somebody in procurement who said i am going to click on a pdf or an email that says invoice that's my job function right i am going to like every email that comes in then you'll have to have the technical controls in place to be able to one filter out these emails so it doesn't reach and two to be able to constantly educate them on potentials of identifying you know some of these where is it coming from what domain is it you know things like that which we used to think is only meant for the IT technical administrators, but today every one of us has to know it because we all have access to all of this. Yeah, so. that's a great point, Bindu, and fascinating article without a doubt. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with um, just the energy industry and utility industry right now in general. Um, and I think what we'll start to see hopefully here soon is, is a lot more development on internal practices uh, in those types of organizations because traditionally they you know, may have not been getting the most attention towards um, security requirements and, and so forth over the over the dec past years and, and whatnot. But I, I definitely think this is an interesting approach uh, by that particular adversary. And, and to your point, um, you know, we can't quite blame the users for clicking those at all. Um, very good stories by both of you. Um, you know, it comes down to almost in a way 
having to rely on the technical aspects to reduce the likelihood that those users have to ever think about this type of thing, but uh, controlling it in a way where we have the ability to respond um, because something like this will somehow always make its way through. Uh, but uh, fascinating, fascinating article right now. For people who are just trying to do their work and uh, take the business, you know, in a specific direction or do a specific business function, they might not be thinking um, about all the crazy security things that are out there. So we have to educate them, of course. We also have to educate them in a way um, that speaks to them and relates to them and the experience they're going through. Hi, Bindu. How are you? Hey, Stan. I'm good. How are you? Doing well. So today I have the internet weather. And uh, just for all of our viewers, the internet weather is how we keep up with the events on the internet, how we understand what threats there might be. And one of the ways we do that is by measuring scanning activity on the internet and profiling against uh, different ports mm -hmm. that might be targeted. Um, so one of the ways we measure activity is by the volume of scanning against specific ports. And so many of our viewers are already familiar with the top 10 list here. Mm -hmm. So these are ports that are commonly scanned and uh, basically have the most volume of scanning on the entire internet as we see it. Um, and there's no surprises here. Everything that we see, we kind of see week, uh, every week. Um, for example, Telnet or SMB or SSL or, tel uh, or SSH, uh, RDP. But the ports that we're going to kind of concentrate on this week and, and dive into a little bit more is, um, of course, port 445 um, associated with the file sharing, uh, but also with the WannaCry uh, mm. warm and uh, port 60001. Uh, so this port, 60001, we'll start with that. And the reason it's interesting is because last week it was in the 18th position of mm. the top ports being scanned. Um, and so it's uh, jumped up eight spots. Eight points, okay. uh, this is something that we've talked about previously. Actually, I, I went back and uh, rewatched uh, an episode uh, where John Holgerboom talked about this port. So uh, let's see what's changed since then and uh, mm. what we've gotten. So um, here's what the scanning activity looks like. And you could see volume. This is um, about 120 days, it looks like. And you could see the volume is not that great. So the scale here is in millions. Um, so you could see just you know a few hours ago, there is like 160 million or so at a peak um, flows per hour targeting this port, which is kind of way up from where it had been you know, a yeah. few months ago. Uh, you know, b before the baseline, you could say on average maybe 20 million, right, most days. But now it's like significantly mm. up. So to study what's happened, uh, one of the ways we can do it is to see, well, how many participants are there mm. scanning this? Is there any uh, change in that? And we can see that there actually there is, and this is a much more pronounced graph. Um, you could see I highlighted a couple of interesting points. So first of all, this is the number of devices that are all looking for this port or scanning for it at the same time um, across the internet, basically. Um, and so you could see the scale here is in thousands. Mm -hmm. um, so you could see in late April here, there was a little bit of a spike. So maybe 500, maybe 700 devices mm -hmm. um, at a peak, but about 100 or so sustained, you okay. could see were scanning. And that was a little weird, um, but then the activity went away. And then here, and uh, towards the end of June here, about two months later, it looks like, the activity really shot up. And you could see now the peaks are about 2,000 IP addresses per hour scanning, and then they kind of trail off. Mm -hmm. And when we see activity like this, we know that there's probably a botnet. 
mm. uh, because generally when a bunch of devices start scanning, scanning all at once, yeah. it usually indicates a botnet. And what's alarming generally, and we see this pattern as well, is when the peaks start getting larger and larger, yeah. and larger it means that the botnet is growing uh, bigger and bigger. So you could see in, uh, at the, towards the end of June, we maybe had 2,000 devices per hour scanning, and then maybe towards the end of July there, um, we have you know just three and a half thousand devices mm. scanning or something like that. And now you could see at the peak, there's four and a half thousand devices wow. scanning, um, which shows that something uh, is going on. There's a growth in this mm. botnet. You know, looking at 120 days is also important because it helps us understand where did this activity come from, profile it a little mm -hmm. bit, and track adversaries, kind of yeah. like uh, Tom mentioned uh, tracking you know, strong pity or something yeah. like that. So adversaries like that. Now we don't know which adversary this is, but it is interesting to see the evolution mm. of the botnet and what it impacts. So the other thing I like to do is look at it geographically because sometimes it helps you to understand, yeah. um, is this botnet impacting a specific region? Um, and you could see that there are specific regions highlighted. Um, for example, like India and the Middle East and uh, North Africa here a little bit. and. Actually, pretty much all of Europe, I would yeah. say, Asia. So it's pretty broad. Widespread, yeah. It's very widespread. Uh, number of devices is, uh, I think in the last five hours, about 6,500 unique IP addresses mm. um, doing uh, the scanning. So doesn't seem like there is only a specific geographic mm. area. That's why I kind of like this chart to yeah. help you understand the scope of this uh, botnet. Yeah, it gives you context. Yes. Uh, we could see that the botnet has been growing over the past few weeks and uh, it will be, we'll obviously keep a, an eye on it, uh, but we'll want to see is the activity going to increase or stay the same. For that, we use a honeypot. Yeah. So we can see who's connecting um, uh, on this port and what are they trying to do against okay. this port. So this is the last uh, 90 days of honeypot records. And you could see, um, you know, the activity, we've seen it for a while. Um, there's 593 unique IP addresses that have connected to the honeypot and tried to do something. Not all of this activity is the same. Some of it is like RGP scanning or SSL. Mm. But you could see the majority of it is HTTP. And when we break it down further, uh, we could see uh, that it appears there's some sort of like an exploit inside of this um, shell parameter. So it's almost like you can execute commands. Mm. And so it seems like the way this botnet spreads is by taking advantage of maybe some sort of an unsecured um, parameter or some sort of a device. Mm. What's interesting is you know, we like to profile these and understand like what is the attack or what is special about the packets. And you can see the HTTP user agent mm. string. This is what your browser sends yeah. when you visit a website. It's kind of strange. It's mm. got these weird zeros and yeah. strange characters in them. That's also um, kind of not normal. And um, finally, there's actually a little bit of a difference if you look at all these payloads. And the difference is they're targeting different IP addresses. Mm. So there's at least four variations of this threat already like in circulation mm. across these different devices. Yeah. So it might indicate um, an adversary that's evolving over the last 90 days, yeah. uh, trying different payloads, or it might indicate multiple adversaries that are all aware of the same uh, vulnerability that are trying to take advantage of it. Um, so, very interesting. We're going to keep an eye on this botnet, yeah. track it, and understand how it might impact um, uh, different customers and uh, yeah. the internet at large. Yeah, and I think because you have that trend over 
120 days to be able to monitor something like this and it looks like there's a huge uptick now. I'm curious to see what the next couple of weeks bring us in this. We're discovering the beginnings of a new botnet. Um, and by looking at the honeypot records, we're actually seeing that in the last 90 days, there are multiple different campaigns. So now uh, we want to look at uh, a report that's very similar. This is also scanning activity on the internet. Uh, but this time it's organized or sorted by the most sources probing. Mm. So this is actually what we aim to do is see is there a botnet building mm. or is there a bunch of devices all of a sudden scanning for the same port. And uh, the two ports that these are usually the same yeah. um, every week. Um, so the two ports that kind of uh, I want to review are port 445 TCP and 8291 TCP. And we actually talked about both of these. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to give a little bit of an update on uh, port 8291 TCP. So last time we talked about it was last time I was on ThreatRack, which was uh, July. And uh, this is what it looked like on the number of devices scanning. So one thing we had noticed then is that um, you could see, this again, the scale is in thousands. So there were these peaks that happened every few weeks where uh, more and more devices would suddenly scan for this activity, again, indicating a botnet. And again, you could see how it kept growing, yeah. uh, which indicates maybe more devices mm -hmm. being impacted. Uh, but sometime in early July, the activity actually changed a little bit and became sustained. So fewer IP addresses scanning at the same time, uh, but continually scanning without ever stopping. Um, and so it seems that whoever this adversary is, they change their tactics hmm. um, and are trying to do something slightly different. So let's see what the chart looks like today. And so this is now right, uh, a little while later. And you could see this is the last time we talked about it. And the activity has continued to be the same. Hmm. So there's not more devices. It's yeah. about the same number of devices impacted. So maybe the botnet has plateaued in mm. a sense. Um, but that's, uh, that's kind of the update on it. So last time and uh, we looked at this and we said, well, what is running on port 8291 TCP? And it's actually a management port um, for this thing called Winbox, which lets you manage Microtech routers. Mm. And there's vulnerability on it and you can take advantage of it. And um, at least in 2018, there was this virus called Hajime and it targeted these devices. So mm. most likely this is very similar. It's probably targeting um, either the same thing, it's not definitely targeting the same exploit, but it might be um, trying to, um, uh, maybe it's an updated version of this malware or an evolution in the botnet. Mm. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what the activity looks like. Um, finally, we have uh, the geographical distribution. Again, it, you could see how it looks like the geographic distribution for 6001, and at the same time, it does not look like it. Mm. Um, you could see certain areas are much less pronounced yeah. um, uh, than they were in the other chart. So let's. See, this is the activity from uh, you know uh, I think July, and this is the activity from today. So you could see uh, there are more devices now, mm. even though the scanning is sustained. There are actually the more devices, devices increased, uh, yeah. participating, but not huge amounts. So about 6,000 yeah. or so devices. Um, out there in the world, um, you could see this botnet also kind of blossomed mm. in a sense. Um, and uh, there it is.
And finally, uh, let's talk about port 445 TCP. Mm -hmm. So this is related to um, SMB mm -hmm. file sharing, yeah. a very common Windows mm -hmm. uh, port. And I know you're very well familiar with it. And for our viewers, I know you are also very familiar with it. So what we've been doing is, every time I'm on the show, I like to review this activity and determine, are we increasing, decreasing in the scanning activity or the number of devices participating as yeah. part of this botnet? Just to understand, are we doing well with the remediation uh, activity as the internet, right? Yeah. As an industry, security industry, out there in the world, how well is it going? Uh, first, I'd like to just highlight, right, the baseline for scanning uh, was Configure uh, back in 2017. And then this spike here, that was the first time we saw uh, this uh, worm mm. being used. And I remember that weekend because a lot of people got called in. Mm. There was a lot of media attention. If we zoom in there, you'll see it was a huge drop. But after that, very quickly, activity spike, ramped up. Yeah. But the interesting thing, we did notice a downshift. Mm -hmm. So um, that was April. Um, so the next time we met, the activity stayed flat, and then it decreased, decreased. I hope I don't miss it. Uh, and then it decreased again. So it's a little bit of a quiz for you. That's not really a quiz. It's more of a, uh, what do you think is your gut telling you? Will the activity decrease, stay the same, or increase in the next slide? Uh, I'm going to say stay the same. Stay the same. That's a, a good bet, because that's what happened. So it looks like uh, today the activity is about the same. Number of devices is not going significantly down that are participating in this. Um, and that's it. That's all for yes. the internet weather this week. Yeah, thank you. This is insightful, because I think uh, you know, to see that all this data that you're able to, one, collect, gather, and analyze, right? We see this amongst a number of organizations where we say you need to have a baseline, right? This is, you know, as AT&T, this is what we do, right? But even within your own, own organization, you need to know what baseline traffic is, how, you know, these port scans work, and, you know, what is being scanned and probed. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.